Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. At uh, Leak City and Clyde, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hey, I've got a, uh, a wall on my house. It's all brick. It has one window in it. Uh, okay. And it's a two-story, two-story wall. Uh, and when I get a big rainstorm, uh, I get water seeping in around my windowsill. Uh, and I think I have, I think it's Mexican brick. It's not the regular, or cinder block right. brick or something like that. And it, it seems to be not just on that wall when we get the hellacious, uh, rainstorms. But uh, something that my wife says the uh, upstairs window gets the same thing on the windowsill. Yep. Uh, yeah, and I was wondering, is there a way to seal that brick? Or is there a way to... There, there is. Now, the first thing you want to do is make sure that your windows are caulked well and, and that you're not getting water coming in, you know, through the caulking and stuff. Yeah, I uh, know, so... I've, had, I've had the windows all replaced uh, okay. and put thermal pane windows in, so I'm sure... I'm sure that they caulked it up. Uh, How long ago uh, what, was that? Oh, what was it? Two, 2010, 10, 10 years ago. Oh, no. It's time to do it again then. Okay. Uh, uh, usually that's something you got to look at every 5 to 10 years is the caulking around the windows because it dries out, shrinks, cracks, and, and you will start getting water in there. Uh, now, if it's not in the caulking but it is in the brick, Yes, it can be sealed. Just a masonry sealer that you can buy and put it into a pump-up sprayer. You spray it on the, the brick wall. It soaks in, stops the weather, weather penetration. Uh, does it make a coloring on your brick? Not a bit. Okay. Is there, uh, is there someone you'd recommend? I'm 85 years old, and I'm not, I'll tell you, I'm not crawling up on a ladder. Okay. Well, you sound great for an 85-year-old guy. Uh, but as as far as a contractor who could do that for you, most brick masons can, can handle that for you. Okay. Thank you. You bet. Take care. You're very helpful. Bye. Thanks. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Is it okay to wallpaper over wallpaper, the existing wallpaper looks like it might be hard to remove. Thanks for your help. Well, if wallpaper was put up correctly, yeah, it's hard to remove. Uh, can you wallpaper over it? It depends on the material that the wallpaper was made out of. If it is a paper wallpaper, you can. But if you've got a vinyl wallpaper, you'll play heck getting the new wallpaper to stick to it. The one thing I want to uh, probably caution you on, if you're going to go over existing wallpaper, don't line up the seams on the same seams. In other words, uh, offset the seams so that they're not on top of each other. Secondary thing is, if there's any of that old wallpaper that's loose, it needs to come off before you put the new wallpaper on top of it. And if you do those two items, yes, it's probably going to be all right to go over it. Uh, obviously, I'm not looking at the wallpaper, but uh, yes, you can go over 
wallpaper with more wallpaper. If you have a paper type wallpaper like that, you don't have to take it off to paint either. You can put on a uh, primer sealer and any place where that wallpaper would bubble, take that off, skim coat wherever you had to take the paper off, skim coat over the joints. You can then texture the wall, prime it again, paint it, and you got a new wall. So you got choices there. Hello, Fred. Hey, it sounds like you're really working hard today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I was going to set up inside and do the show, and I said, it is too nice outside. It's, it's, it's a little sunny, and I know there's a chance of rain and everything, but it was just too nice to be doing the show inside. So I'm sitting out here on the porch. I've actually got my computer call screen where I can see who the callers are sitting on a cedar stump and I'm sitting in a rocking chair just watching the world go by that's why God made the earth go sit outside I'm with you yep hey you were talking about caulking yeah and that's why I'm calling I've been building I'm 80 so I've been building stuff since I was 14 years old growing up in the country and I have quit using this acrylic caulking because it's a, it's good, like you say, for five years. Yep. And I exclusively now use expensive caulking straight silicone. I have some I put in 30 years ago, and it's still there. There's no – and it's there, period. One yep. and done, but it's more expensive. So I wanted to run that by you and see if you had any comments on that. Well, I tell people all the time when they start asking me about what caulking to get, don't buy the cheap stuff. Get a siliconized caulk, 30 to 50 year, something that's going to last. And honestly, you get a 50 year caulk in our climate, you may only get 20 or 25 years out of it, depending on how bad it gets beat up by the weather. But it's it's still not going to be something you're going to be replacing in two or three years like the cheap stuff. Yeah, exactly. Some of the stuff that I see, you know, used on new houses is atrocious. They're buying a dollar ninety nine stuff, and it's going to be cracking in in the first twelve months. Yeah, and the worst part about it is they know it. Well, they know it, but the poor customer doesn't know it. And so exactly, you know, pay your pay up front, and then never worry about it. Yep, I uh, I agree a hundred percent. And, and, you know, if something lasts 25 years, that'll probably be fine with me since I'm going to hit 80 in, in next month. So that's well, all I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, Fred. My dad's 80. He's up here running around on the lease, and he says I he's got no intention of going anywhere. He's figuring on another 20 anyways. Yeah, I know. But, you know, we're not in charge of all that. We just do the best <laughs> we can. Yep. <laughs> Okay, well, I appreciate your show. You really give good advice to people. So I was having a lazy afternoon like I've been having too many of them. I decided I'd call. All right. Fred, feel free to call again. And I'm I'm jealous of you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Nancy, you doing all right today? Yeah, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Okay, number one, we are on well water. Some okay. time ago, we had the house repiped. And the only thing is the sinks upstairs, which is just a double sink upstairs in the master bedroom. When you turn on the cold water for about the first three or four minutes, it smells like rotten eggs. 
Yep. And um, I was wondering if you had an answer for that. Is that the only spot where it's doing it? That's the only spot. The two sinks upstairs, and you turn the cold water on, everything else, the hot water is fine. The shower is fine. But the two sinks are the only ones that are doing it. And my guess is if you go back in in an hour and turn it on, you don't get it. But if you leave it sit for a day or two is when you get it. You almost get it back uh, in the morning. Well, of course, first thing in the morning. Sure. But if I let it sit for about three or four hours, <coughs> excuse me, I'll get it again. Okay. Normally, that's an indication that there's two dissimilar metals touching each other. And as they are corroding each other, it puts that smell into the water. If you were telling me that it was happening at all the faucets turning on the hot water, then I would guess that it's the... Uh, the rod, anode rod in the water heater, but when it's in the cold water side and it's really only happening in that one spot, somewhere there are two joints that are touching each other that are made of dissimilar metals, and that's what's causing it. Okay. Um, so how would we go about fixing this, or should the repipe people be responsible for it? I would call the repipe people because it's going to probably be one of the joints that they did. They tied their new joint into the old metal and used two different metals, and there's some uh, electrolysis taking place, basically, that's causing it. I see. Okay. So it's got nothing to do with with well water, right? No, ma'am. If it was well water, you'd be smelling it at all faucets. Right, that's what I thought. Okay, so that's uh, call them back and try to figure it out, right? Yep. And and uh, did you get a uh, PEX type pipe or what did they repipe it with? The 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 flexible kind. I don't yep. know what. Yeah. That that it that's PEX, and so it's going to be. I'll bet you the joint that ties into just the water supply right there where the uh, faucet is. They probably put brass on on the pecs, which is normal. But whatever was left on the old pipe, maybe they tied into a piece of old galvanized or something. That's that's where the, the issue is. Okay. All right. Well, all right. Then I'll, I'll, we'll try to call them back and see what happens. All righty. They, they sort of blamed it on the well. Yeah, no, it's not. How long ago did you have this done? About four or five months ago. No, get them back. Okay, very good. Well, I appreciate your help. You bet. You take care. And thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, and, and like I said, if it was everywhere, I would blame it on the well as well, also, but not when it's isolated to one sink. Charles, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Thank you, sir. I'm getting ready to redo my wood floors. I had a fire in my house, and I got some water stains that I'm trying to get up. I'm renting one of those round cylinder stick sanders, and I'm just wondering if you can give me any tips when I tackle this later on today. Yeah, be real careful that you don't keep that big sander in one place too long because it will take that floor down quick. Okay. Uh, 
you're going to find most of the time, once you take the surface off, the, the underneath is going to look great. So even though it's had some water stain to it, uh, most of the time, once you sand the surface off, it, it a lot of times will be just fine. Unless it's, you know, the water damage is from, like, uh, pet urine and stuff like that. Usually just water doesn't create right. huge problems. Okay, very good. I appreciate that. Okay. Now, when did you get the uh, small sander for doing the edges as well? Yeah, I've got a small one here around the edges once I tackle the, the main area of the floors. What do you recommend as far as after I get it all sanded, coming back with a stain, a stain, uh, what do you recommend on that? You know, it, it's really going to depend on what you're wanting to look like. Uh, I personally have used the Minwax several times, and okay. I love the way it comes out, and they've got a finish that is is made specifically for floors. Uh, so I would I would take a look at that. But as far is is it an oak floor or pine or what is it? I uh, you know I'm not sure. It's built, this house is built back in the '40s, and I'm not sure what it is. To tell you the truth. So how, how wide are the boards? They're real skinny. They're narrow. Okay, that, that, that's going to be oak then. Uh, typically from the '40s, if it was pine, which there was a lot of them used, especially on uh, crawl space type houses, it would be four inches wide uh but if it's the little inch and a half to two inch that's yes, going to be a, a solid oak floor and they are really going to look great once they're finished you may want to uh find a closet or something to do a little bit of testing right I, i'll be honest with you my favorite is to put no stain on it just to finish once it's done uh, or if i do use a stain i use a very light stain because it really brings out the wood grain okay that uh, that and, minwax that you're talking about is it just it's just a finish to go on it? Yes, sir. Yep. Okay. Now they make the stains as well. Okay. Well, I may try that first, see what it looks like. And what do you recommend when I put the stain or the minwax down? Do you use a a paintbrush or how do you apply it? Uh, actually, you can roll it. Roll it. Okay. Yep. Now, careful when you're rolling. Don't go real fast. Because if you go too fast, it'll tend to kind of put bubbles into the uh, floor finish. Uh, just a nice gradual back and forth. Okay, I appreciate it, Jim. And one of the big key things you got to do is to make sure you get all the dust up after sanding. Right. Okay. That's that's your kiss of death. If you don't if you don't take the time for that part, the rest of it's not going to look good. All right, I got you. All right, take care, Charles. Right, good you, luck sir. with that. All right. Okay, appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. In fact, typically, if you're going to try to get all the dust up, shop vac, you know, vacuum, uh, you sweep it, shop vac it, and then use the dust cloth. It's tacky, and it, it picks up everything, does a does a great job. We're going to head over to Benbrook. Genevieve? Yeah, that's me. Hey, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. So I live here in Benbrook, Texas. I have a house that has had extensive foundation work done on it, $25,000 worth. Um, they have had to come out multiple, multiple, multiple times to adjust the piers because the house still moves. They finally came up with, well, it's going to be another $20,000 to actually fix it. 
And I've kind of conceded that I need to go ahead and use a different foundation company. I did have a soil test done, and you hit bedrock at 17 feet, two inches at my house. Okay. Um, And my house moves throughout the year. Sometimes I can open my front door. Sometimes I can't. It just depends on the rain, the weather, that type of thing. So I've met with many, many foundation people, and I feel like it's one of those, plus I'm a gal, I live alone, that type of thing. I feel like it's one of those things where it's incredibly difficult to find a foundation company that's not kind of shady. There are, we're, most of us are pretty shady. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my aunt and mother. And, okay. Uh, and uh, I, I, I wish mean, I, I was had... joking about that, but I'll be honest with you. I'm not joking. There there are a lot of shady characters in the foundation repair business. And one of the big problems is everybody thinks they can do it. So they open up, they offer a lifetime warranty, and two years later they're out of business and you're left holding the bag. Yeah, yeah. So what do you recommend? Like, is, do you, can you recommend a foundation company that is good? I got an estimate from one I was fairly settled on, and... I had an engineer look at it, and he said, this is enough to raise a skyscraper. He said, this is really overdoing it. So I didn't know who you would recommend because I've basically just given up. I'm like, well, the house yeah. is going to roll down the hill. Have, have you had Due West out yet? Um, no, I haven't had Due West out. Okay. You know that I, I'm the owner of Due West. Oh, okay. So... We would be more than happy to come out and take a look at it. Uh, in fact, right now, if you, uh, my son uh, is running with the estimators, and he'd be more than happy to come out and take a look at it. If they need my my help on it, they would call, and I'd come out and look at it as well. But, uh, yeah, the Benbrook area, you have a mix of soils. You have some soils that have rock in it, and you have some soils that are just plain black gumbo clay soils all the way down. But if you've got a soils report that's showing rock at 17 feet, do you know how far into that rock they went? They they didn't. They went, okay. they went probably at most six feet down, and they said they were hitting bedrock every single time. And then the guy that was working out here, Miguel, he said, no, we're just hitting sand. I, yeah. He would tell me the truth, but then the owner would come out here and say, oh, yeah, they're hitting bedrock. And I'm like, you don't know that. I'm watching no. them. And, and yeah. I'm going to be straight up with you. Even with your soils report saying you're hitting rock, that's not bedrock. That's going to be a layer of rock, but bedrock is probably going to be quite a bit deeper. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the rock that we typically hit closer to the surface that way is more of a limestone type rock it's a softer rock than bedrock would be mm-hmm. but it, it's it, it should be stable enough typic at that depth typically to hold it so uh, it sounds like they probably were putting in a concrete pile correct yep. so two dollar concrete yep. piers and, and honestly i do a lot of those because in a lot of soils, they work great. And my company developed all the installation process for that back in the uh, early 80s. But when you get into a situation where you're hitting that sand layers and you got rock down like that, I would switch over to a steel pile 
that would drive deeper into the ground, drive through that sand better, and get down to that rock layer. Uh, okay. Your other choices are helical piers and stuff, but knowing that at 17 feet you have rock, steel would be the way to go. Yeah, I got a PhD in piers at this point, and uh, I pretty much know that I need the steel one. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, and uh, the place that I used didn't offer that and all that, so... That's why I talked to this other company, and they didn't even measure. They just used the measurements from my old foundation work. and no. and Yeah, and I was like, you're using the old measurements. And he says, no, I measured. And I'm like, no, you didn't. Yeah, if, he, if he's that lazy just doing an estimate, how's he going to do the job? Oh, yeah. That's how I felt. He was really slick. Yep. So. Now, call the office at 972-406-0912. Zero nine one two. Sure thing. All right. Well, I'll give him a call. Thank you for your advice. Genevieve, you take care. And uh, you know what? Don't lose any sleep over it. It can be taken care of. All right. Appreciate it. You bet. Jim, about to install a metal roof on a 70-year-old house with 1x8 decking boards. There's a company located in Argyle, Texas, that sells the foil radiant barrier with a synthetic underlayment attached. This looks like a really good product. Are you aware of the product and approve of this type of installation? If you can, please advise me as soon as possible. Contractor is ready to begin work. Thanks, Jimmy. Well, Jimmy, I, I know there are radiant barriers that you can put under the roof. You hear me talk about Energy Q all the time. That's one of them that you can do. So if this is a multi-layer system with a thermal break in the middle, Yes, it is designed to go under the shingles. You can get away with that. You can sandwich it between other materials as well. But the, the short answer is absolutely they do work. Now, I personally put my radiant barrier in the attic because I lay it on the attic floor on top of the insulation. Again, still using a multi-layer system because if you use a single-layer system, you got to have air gap. Multi-layer systems with thermal break, you don't. So you can lay it on the attic floor, and the heat that does get in the attic doesn't get into the insulation. Makes a huge difference. And the way you can really tell what's happening, lay one of those radiant barrier sheets over the pull-down staircase. You pull down the staircase, you feel absolutely no difference. You climb up that staircase, you still don't feel the heat from the attic. You lift up that radiant barrier and slide it, and you get this blast of hot air coming into your living space. You know that radiant barrier is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And so the reason I put it on the attic floor instead of on the roof or just under the roof, I really don't care what the temperature gets to in my attic. Now, I do, but what I'm trying to do is make my house more energy efficient. And even with a radiant barrier, your attic is still going to get hot by laying it on the attic floor. You're protecting the insulation and keeping it from getting hot. So it just makes things hold up better for you. This is kind of a special Texas home improvement because not only are we doing the radio show, we're also recording the TV show at the same time. And I'm with Taylor here at Gold Star Lighting and Appliance. So we're talking lighting here. And when it comes to going to the store and buying lights, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're labeled. We got... Yes. Bright white, we got dim light, we got soft. Mm -hmm. What am I buying? That's a great question. So really, when you go in to start buying lights, 
the most important thing is you need to look at what your particular fixture will take. Some fixtures, if you bought them at a certain period of time, early 2000s, won't handle the new LEDs. So if you put them in, it'll actually short your, it'll probably short out everything or maybe right. blow a breaker or it won't turn on. You'll think your light's broken, broken, but it's not your light. It's the bulb. So take that into consideration. Um, wattage is very important as well. You but don't it's all right. They can just come here and get some new fixtures. They sure can, and we we sure welcome <laughs> them on the floor. Um, but just to save you some money, yeah, try not to make that mistake, of course. And and we're happy to help you too if you want to come in and ask us that question. We can try to look up the model number and and help you fit the light. You don't have to buy it from us. We do sell bulbs. That's not our biggest thing, so we can help with that. But um, you also need to pay attention to if you want a clear light or uh -huh. if you want something that's fluorescent or has the white cover to it, um, the halogen lights, it's it's an unbelievable array of types and it really comes down to your product. So if you look up that model number, it normally will tell you a list of lights that are um, that will fit to your, your product. Now, my wife and I have different tastes in light bulbs. I put all LED lights in the house mm -hmm. and I like it bright and white and I want to yes. be able to see. She doesn't. So when I got done putting all these new light bulbs in the house, she come in and you have to know my wife. She's a, a good Catholic school girl. And the first thing she does is she looks at it and she says, oh, hell no. This ain't happening. <laughs> Too much light. Too much light. Yes. I had to change out some of the bulbs for her. Yes. So how do people make that determination prior to doing like I did and putting everything yes. in? That is a great question and a, a actually a common question and a common issue between husband and wives <laughs> I've found because wives like that more calming light yeah. more often. I mean, husbands do too, but it's a common thing. Um, and really, I suggest having your brightest light at the top and then I call it conversational light. That's mm -hmm. not the correct term. It's my term. Um, and that's just the warm light that's at eye level. So your pendant lights that are in your kitchen and your low hanging lights that are more for detail and design versus actually providing you significant light. Well, my issue is, I mean, I don't mind the softer colors, mm -hmm. but if I'm going to try to read something... You want to see. I can. I got to have some light to see. You want to see. It didn't used to be a b as big a problem as it is nowadays. Right. Right. And especially since the warm light is really coming back with the new LEDs, especially those Edison bulbs, they really don't put off a ton of light. But if you... Well, I say that. They don't put off a ton of light with warm light. When you start to add in the... Um, brighter, cooler tones uh -huh. and hues, you can get the same brightness from an Edison bulb. It's never going to be the same as a recessed can light, but right. you can get great lighting from an Edison bulb. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.